0: One of my favourite moments of you, Denise, in this entire year mm. was just how much you hate my quizzes.
1: Yeah, that's that's confirmation there. Um, you can't do quizzes to save your Sorry, life. I can do quizzes. Hopefully, your New Year's resolution will be no quizzes for 2020. It's
0: not my fault that you do not know
1: one, one, who one film who wrote A Christmas Carol. John Cusack, isn't <laughs> it? Isn't this who we confirmed it to be?
0: Welcome to Girls With Goals, I'm Neve Marr and this is the New Year's special. I'm joined by my right hand woman who's been helping me out so much this year, Denise Curtin. Hi. Hi, how are you? Great. I always feel weird when I'm introducing you because everybody who listens to the show knows who you are. So Hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Denise, uh, Denise you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're taking a look back at some of the best moments that we've had on the show over the last year. And uh, I just actually can't believe that we're going into 2020. No,
1: it freaks me out. I actually showed you a thing recently of Justin Bieber at the beginning of 20, like the beginning of the decade to the end, and he's a baby at the beginning, and now he's a married man, and it just goes to show like, like how much time has passed, and it's freaking me out. 2020 yeah. is a big one. It is a big one, and I suppose because we're we're
0: heading into a new decade as well. Mm. I've never been a massive fan of New Year's celebrations. I have I. It,
1: the song O Lang Zye makes me really upset. It also, kinda feels think, like a sinking ship or something. I don't know. I don't I think, think Irish it.
0: people ever really do the O Lang Zion thing. First oh. off, none of us can really pronounce it.
1: No, but they do it in nightclubs and everyone's meant to link arms and it makes me really sad. <laughs> I just feel like it's the end of the world. It has that kind of doomsday
2: yeah. vibe
0: to it. I don't know what it is. It's but yeah. kind of like the absolute worst Sunday night fear that you can imagine. Oh, yeah. All Tripled. Pu- poured into a song. Yeah. Um. So we've covered so much this year on the show and I suppose I want to take the opportunity to thank everybody who has listened and who has watched the show as well and who have subscribed. We're going strong now coming into over two years it'll be like two years soon which is mad like sometimes I i can't even really think about that i suppose um getting into our first clip of something that happened that was really important um an interview that we did in march of 2019 uh it's one that i'll always remember and it's jada mccann who was an online influencer she was battling a rare form of cancer we got the news then in october that she had passed away and Jada, which she was kind of known online as Jada, but her name is Jade. Um, she was twenty-four years of age when she died, and she was openly documenting her journey on her Instagram page. Um, I remember when I kind of found out. I was out and about. I was at an event, and I found out. It kind of trickled in, and we were talking about it on our her WhatsApp, and we were like, you know, we need confirmation, all this kind of stuff. And I remember I was walking along um, O'Connell Street and I just kind of like dipped into a coffee shop slash pub and was like, do you have Wi-Fi? And I just wrote up a a really quick kind of um, piece about her because we had done this interview and I just felt like it was just a very like odd situation to have met someone 7 months prior yeah. to sit with them to talk about their life and the whole message that Jade was was giving out was that she wasn't dying that she was living with cancer and that was kind of like um that was her line throughout the whole thing and she had just incredible courage i of all the interviews that i've done it was one of the ones that i really struggled to kind of hold it together just because i couldn't actually believe that she was going through all of this and still maintaining such an incredible attitude and and still wanting to help others as well um. so if you want to listen to the full thing it's episode 74 and uh, we're including a section where she discusses a documentary that she was making um before she died so take a look so I wanna talk as well about the fact that you were, oh, just last week in recording an album as well. Like, I mean, <laughs> can we just talk about the things that you're doing aside from, you know, obviously like living with this uh, every day. You have a documentary that's coming out as yes. well. Um, So you have cameras and stuff following you around. What's that like? Scary. Yeah. But the team that I work with, um, I'm also producing it
3: so yep. they're close friends mm. and they're almost like family at this stage and I think that was the key to getting the documentary as personal and as good as it is now yeah and um, I'm so proud of the work that we've all done but it, it is intimidating having cameras follow you and there were days that I was really sick yeah and um, really ill on camera and I think it's important to show those days yeah and um, it's very hard to show them on Instagram.
0: Cause it's only like shoulder up you know but i i could i remember there was this one day when you must have been filming something that was really emotional and that was really really hard on you and you came on and you know you said you were like you know the amount of followers that you have on instagram will never equate to the happiness that you, that you have in your life. like, And I think it was really, it was a nice thing because like you come on and you, you tell us when you're having like bad days when it comes to your health, but this was actually about the fact that like you just were not feeling happy, you were going through this awful thing, you were also shooting something and it just seemed like it was yeah. a loss.
3: That was the day that we had our first screening of the documentary, right. part one, so it's a two part series. We had just watched the first full part mm. and I had not yet seen the interviews of my mum and dad. So, obviously, my mum and dad were upset on camera. They were talking a lot about what would happen if I passed and stuff. Yeah. And that was so hard to watch. And especially because my dad was sitting beside me. Yeah. I was trying to hold my shit together. I was like, oh my God, don't cry. But um, it was really upsetting. And I think when I got home, I was really overwhelmed. And I was thinking, I always wanted this. I wanted, I wanted so bad to work in media and be successful in media mm. and have attention and you know a platform that I could share because I really believe that I do have a lot to share and even before I got sick yeah. um so I think it's be careful what you wish for and that was the moment that I had where I was like, oh my God, like when I first got sick, I was so in love with myself, like in a really positive way. Yeah. I'd worked so hard on my mental health. I was at a stage where I was comfortable to move abroad alone. Um, I was living out on my own. I was working my butt off. I was making money. Mm. I was independent and I was so happy. And I didn't have that many followers in comparison to what I have now. Yeah. Um, so I think now that I've got the, everything I wished for, um, I've also got this, you know, underlying illness that has Mm. depleted my mental health. It's brought me right back to where I was years ago, mentally, physically, I have challenges daily. Um, So I think, you know, it's be careful what you wish for. And I think I wanted to really drive home that like, yes, I do have all this external success, Mm. but that does not equate to how I feel. And I wanted people to realize that because I think nowadays people think, oh yeah, like for example, Rosie Connolly, oh God, she looks so glamorous. Like, look at her car, look at her family. Like, she just had a baby. Everybody's probably thinking, oh, she's amazing. Mm. People don't know how, you know, how really her life is yeah. and what happens behind closed doors. And that's the same with me or anybody else that's on social media, like Ellie Kelly or anybody. Um, people can make assumptions, mm. they can uh, comment on it, they can uh, talk about it if they yeah. want, gossip about it, but they have absolutely no idea what goes on in our lives, really. Because yeah. again, we choose to share what we share. Um, Social media, like for everybody, and even people that don't have followers, put their best face forward. They might filter their pictures. They might put up a status that they want to share that makes them look good. Mm. Whatever the case is. And I think people need to realize that we do that too. (laughs) And that underneath it all, we have a family life that we don't share about.
0: You know, I, there's a lot of stuff in my life that I don't share about. I mean, I don't know. You don't have to share, and I don't don't talk about him <laughs> if you don't want to. But like, you you talk about your boyfriend on yes. your vlog as well, and yeah. um, you only started seeing him kind of around the time <laughs> when this all happened. So. Yeah. I mean, what was that like? Were you just like the same way on that day when you were kind of going to your job and going to everything sorting it out? Were you going to just sort that out as yeah. well and be like, look, this is happening, so? I did that, yeah,
3: And exactly s- what I did. He was in Australia at the time visiting his family. and um, We were only dating for three weeks. We'd only been on a few dates. We were quite inseparable. We, re- we really liked each other. We knew yeah. it was kind of going somewhere. And that day, again, we went to my nan's, all my family were there, and we dropped my auntie home. Um, and as we dropped my auntie home, my phone rang. So I stepped out of the car, and it was Bren, and he didn't know that I had the appointment. He didn't know I had the, he knew I had the surgery, Yeah. Um, to remove the cyst. But before that I didn't tell him anything about my health down there, because I was only just dating him. I didn't think he needed to know. Fair, um, yeah. So, When I went in for that appointment, he knew about the surgery and I just said, look, come here, some results have come back from that surgery that I got. And he was like, oh, I didn't realise there was going to be results. And I was like, yeah, um, neither did I. I was like, look, come here, I was like, it's been a great few weeks, um, but when you get back from Australia, I want to discontinue whatever we've got going on because um, it's actually cancer. And I want to do this my own way. And I don't want to burden you, um, you're really handsome, you're young, go and live, whatever you want to do. Um, but you do not need to be sitting beside me through this. Especially because we've only just started seeing each other. Um, so he kind of went quiet for a few days and then he came back and he was like, no, I want to be there for you. Yeah. And, you know, we had a similar conversation when it metastasized to my lungs in July. And again, no, I want to be there for you. There were times when, you know, I was in hospital and my life was being threatened and no, I want to be there for you and he's just been constant. He's been a pillar through all of this and I see him every day and he treats me amazing. We get on amazing, we're equal. Um, And I just, I'm so grateful for him. Like, you know, we're together a year now.
0: You're together a year, Mm -hmm. amazing. Um, You said earlier that, you know, you're someone who is living with cancer and like your story, Jade, has so many different (laughs) like avenues to it and like such, lows, as as well as really encouraging and, and positive aspects of it mm-hmm. as well. Um, from now and kind of moving forward, is that where you're at? As in, are you going to continue to live your life as somebody who is battling this, but who is not going to be defeated by it? And I mean, the fact that you're even telling people that we need to change, like we can't all be sitting around being terrified of cancer, because mm. that will give it... Power. It will give it power and mm-hmm. it will it will make it win essentially. Yes. So I mean like I, I... That's what I take from your story anyway, and I, I hope that like other people kind of take that too. And is that something that like you are going to look at now, moving forward into the future?
3: My plan, I'm reading a book at the moment called Radical Remissions, mm. um, and it's about uh, a lady who was a counsellor for oncology patients, and she found that some of her patients, based on their mental state, uh, best terminal cancer, yeah. and some of them didn't, based on their mental state. So she was really kind of intrigued and she travelled the world and did a big PhD on what were the common denominators between people that bet cancer against all odds yeah. and I'm reading that at the moment and I'm following it it's my Bible yeah. and my goal is to stabilize my cancer mm-hmm. and to live my life yeah. I want to get married I want to have kids I want to travel I want to do all that stuff yeah. and I think it's up here yeah it's up here and I'm determined and I'll try anything. Like at the moment I'm on a no carb, like no refined carb, no refined sugar. Yeah. Like no dairy, no meat diet, just whole foods. I drink nothing but mineral water. Yeah. Um, you know, minimum. like like I minimize all my coffee and take everything. Yeah. Like I'm ec- you're doing, I'm doing a, everything. You're doing
0: yoga every single day. Every
3: single day. Yeah, well I took a break now at the moment. I will get back <laughs> to it. I'm doing yoga, I meditate, yeah. I do um energy healing, I do Reiki, I do uh, sleep hypnosis, I do like I am doing everything, including all the alternative options, and I think I'm in with a chance, like, you know? If you tell yourself you're gonna lose, you are.
0: If you tell yourself you're gonna win, you might, you know? So that was Jade McCann there. Like I mentioned, the episode is 74 of Girls of Goals. So if you want to go and take a look at it, what I found incredible as well about Jade was that when we put out the interview again after she had passed, you know, I went on to YouTube and I looked at some of the comments and so many people were commenting rest in peace and what an incredible soul she was. Yeah. And I kind of really, like I, I liked looking at those comments because it felt like in some ways we had captured... You know this this piece of her that's always going to be there. So, uh, yeah, I'll always be really appreciative and feel really privileged to have gotten that opportunity to interview her before she died. So
1: yeah, absolutely incredible. Um,
0: so moving on, there was a, there was another piece that i loved i wasn't on it yeah so um but you presented a show and you've kind of picked this as one of the highlights of your year so tell us a little bit about it
1: i did i think it was one of the first shows that i did solo by myself presenting Mm -hmm. so very nervous and also a topic that i thought was very important to discuss and it was about uh, eating disorders and body positivity so i had model kathy costello on kathy was absolutely fantastic her journey and the story of how she's come from hating her body to loving her body without actually experiencing any change in her shape has been quite amazing. Like She has decided that she's gonna start loving herself and obviously she speaks openly about the fact that she needed therapy to help her get to the place that she's in. But yeah, her, her journey is just incredible. And now she's so raw with how she shares her life on Instagram, which is very difficult because I know we live in a world where it's all about filtered pictures and it's all about, you know, making sure that you get the perfect angle to look the best you can possibly look. So the way that she portrays herself online is her natural form and her natural self. And it's it's so beautiful to see. And basically the message that she's preaching in this episode, which we recorded in September, is that like if you need help, go and get help like you're wasting your own time by not going and seeing someone or by not going and and getting help from a professional because like she actually said in the clip that we're going to play she said if you've a headache you're going to take something for your headache so if you've constant negative thoughts why wouldn't you do something about it yeah and it really kind of struck with me and I was like that's it I think a lot of the time we kind of hide mental illness and there's almost a shame to it because we think that there's something like Wrong with us if we if we go about it without showing a scar, without showing a cut. You know, it's yeah. it, it. People find it harder to go and seek help, but um, yeah, no. Her her journey is incredible, and the way that she preaches online is amazing too. So um, yeah,
0: yeah. I think the thing about Cathy, which which I found so interesting, like I had actually worked with her. Probably like maybe the guts of a year before you recorded this episode, and she was modeling on this shoot that I was working on. And I just remember, like, we work with a lot of models, we work with a lot of influencers and stuff. And of course, what they portray online is so flawless. And when I met Cathy in person, she is literally flawless. flawless and I felt. Yeah awful just standing beside her and nothing like about she was so lovely and she was so sweet and she had this incredible work ethic and she was a dream because it was a long shoot like it was a long day and we were asking a lot of her and she was an absolute dream to work with and then when I kind of started to see online that she was you know talking openly about some of her insecurities and stuff I was proper flabbergasted because this woman has legs for days, like her legs are literally the size of me. And I know that that's the the beast that she works in. She's a model, and so you're the expectations on her are very different than the expectations on someone who isn't in the industry. But it was really refreshing to just see somebody who, literally, when I saw her, I thought she had been chiselled by the gods, you know. Yeah. But then for her to come out and talk about the struggles that she had been through herself was just it really hammers home the fact that the work that we do online and the the lives that we portray is one version of what there is and
1: we just can't forget that i always say instagram is 10% of your life because yeah. it is when you put up pictures from a holiday or when you put up highlights from work you're putting up a very small fraction of what it is that you do day in day out or you know the kind of life you live from 9 to 5 so i think it's always so important to remember that it's the perfectly tuned snapshot of her life that you usually see on Instagram. So, you know, not yeah. to be, not to be, um, It's not like having a little bit of empathy, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, I presumed I was like straight
0: up jealous of this woman. I was like, you're so stunning. Like, I will never look yeah. like that. And as a woman, it's hard because like we're on screen, we're, we're in this, in, in the kind of media sphere that we're in, and you can't help but compare yourself to other people. And I think when, when people who we, have kind of historically deemed as like you are stunningly beautiful you're a model you are literally paid to look the way that you do i think it's when people who are working in those industries come out and talk about their own mental health their own expectations and pressure that's put on them that it almost makes it a little bit easier for us who are like almost trying to reach that level that
1: unattainable goal it's so, unattainable. so yeah, yeah yeah no it was absolutely fantastic but um yeah you can uh, take a look at this and um, this is when i met up with
4: kathy in september so many people hate their body, girls and boys, they hate their body, so many people do. Just because you hate your body at this current time doesn't mean you won't grow to love your body. And that doesn't mean you even have to change your body to love it, like, you can, you like, I, I promise, like, you actually can do it, like, I've done it, you know? And you know, as well, just
1: like jumping back to when you were saying about, like, you can love your body yeah. and it can happen, when you started going to therapy, yeah. did you think, like, I'm going to start loving my body, or did you think like I need someone
4: Honestly, to teach me how to do this? Honestly, I was like, this isn't gonna work. Really? Yeah, I was like, never. I'm always gonna hate how I look. I was like, this isn't gonna work. So I didn't really, I didn't really hate how I looked when I was, when I was young. I did. When okay. I was in school, I did. When I came to college, I didn't really hate how I looked. I was kind of, I was. Everybody thinks that because I'm like, because I'm a model. That oh, that's definitely not the right career path for you to have gotten into if you were you know iffy with food and body image, but honestly, like it's only ever like it's only ever encouraged me, because instead of when I started modeling, instead of being like, okay, you gonna you're gonna have to look like the rest of these girls now, but I was like, no, do you know what? I'm not gonna like try to look like the rest of the girls. I'm gonna look how I look, and I'm gonna try to use that to my advantage, mm-hmm. and like it's worked. You know? Yeah,
1: absolutely, so. absolutely. But that's incredible that like. You know, when you did start therapy, you were thinking this isn't going to work. And then you kept trucking at it. And it did work because I think a lot of people think like, you know, I'm so negative right now that I can't even imagine someone else teaching me a different way because this is just how I feel. And like you were saying, so many people do put it on the back burner, like even friends of mine and family where they're like, yeah, no, like I will get help. But like, you know, sometime like it's not like. Necessary thing, that I do it right now. Thing
4: is, you are wasting your own time. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't like why wouldn't you do that? Like, if you have a headache, or if you have a stomach ache, you'll go to the doctor and get something for it. Like, if you're having all these like toxic thoughts that are lasting way longer than a headache or way longer than a stomach bug that can last years, and you're like, oh no, I'll do it some other time. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like. Yeah. But at the time, at the time, I had that mind frame where I was like, oh, no, I'll just leave it. But I wasted so much time. I had a makeup artist say to me the other day, she was like, I wish I had, I wish I thought like you did when I was younger. She's like, I wasted so much time. She's like, it's only since uh, the past couple of years that I've stopped being so hard on myself. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I, I feel good now. I'm 23 and I'm like, I'm okay with everything now. Yeah. Something I'm proud of, you know.
1: Yeah, no, you definitely, you definitely did the right thing, and it's hard to tell a twenty one year old or twenty year old self to, you know, get up and go to therapy yeah. because this is what you need. Yeah. You know,
4: and you're kind of, in a way, you're like, you're embarrassed as well, in a way. Hmm. Not that anybody should ever be embarrassed, but it's like you're admitting that, okay, I need help. Yeah. And a lot of the time, that can be hard for people, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, not, it doesn't even necessarily have to be related to food and body image, but it can, it can be hard to admit that. Okay, actually I actually need to go and get help. And a lot of people I think a lot of people don't realize that who do need help. A lot of people don't realize they need help. Yeah. Cuz you hear about diet culture the whole time and like you hear, you know, people being obsessed with food the whole time. But like you need to, and it's it's fine it's fine to it's fine to want to lose weight. It's fine to want to put on weight. It's fine to want to change how you look, to like watch what you eat. But you need to make sure that it's not obsessive. Yeah. Cuz I didn't think it was obsessive for a long time. I thought it was normal. But um, if it's consuming your mind, if you think about it, if you think about it, if you think about your body negatively at least once a day, that's not okay.
1: Yeah. You know? I know. And I think, like, maybe it's just in Ireland, especially, but we, we're we under this mindset where, like, it's okay to bash yourself yeah. because it makes you more humble. No.
4: So if someone, you know, Irish women, if yeah. I was like, you look lovely, they'd say, no, I don't. I put it's on like, so yes, much weight, yeah. and I look disgusting. It's yeah. like, yes, you do. You look great. Like, yeah. don't, like, don't, like, just relax, you look amazing. But like Irish women, just they just shot, shut themselves down. Oh, they do, away.
1: completely, completely. And it's, it's in that kind of mindset that you, you need to change. And it's like almost like changing a culture yeah. mindset, but like We're it so takes each individual ourselves. person to do it, you yeah. know? But I do think that a lot of the time, you know, even when someone's like, your hair's lovely, I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Like Don't yeah. tell them that it was disgusting this You're morning. Like, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. thanks. <laughs>
4: and it's hard, but like. And you feel like they're going to say, oh, you think your hair's gorgeous? Oh, great. you think <laughs> your hair's gorgeous, don't you? <laughs>
1: It's such, yeah. it's such a thing that we have built into our minds. Yeah. It's like oh, it's like you have to. They definitely think I'm vain now yeah. and obsessed <laughs> with myself. But the thing is, they don't. you yeah, know, they don't. People just are like they move on. If yeah. you catch their attention more yeah. when you start to bash yourself, you yeah. are like,
4: oh, Jesus, okay. I think and I think complimenting people is so important. I really yeah. think it is, even if it's so subtle. So and I think one thing I think though is never like, I, I like I never think I never think saying to somebody, oh, Jesus, you've lost so much weight. I don't think that's a compliment. I don't think no. that's anybody's. Another way people always say that. Yeah. You look great, you Have you lost a few yeah. pounds? I don't think like uh, that's nobody ever knows the reasons for somebody's like weight loss or weight gain. Or yeah. you look great. You've gained some weight. Like you know, it works both ways. Like that's like n- I never think I never think that's a compliment. Like I've had people say to me, "Oh Jesus, you look great. Have you lost a few pounds?" I'm like,
1: go away. Yeah. Like no, and go it's, away. Like, it's, it's, it's it's not. It's it's like a double-edged sword in that mm, sense that like you might like. Be thinking oh look it's great that they've lost weight i'm helping them but you don't yeah. know how the other person is going to reciprocate that if that's going to trigger them into thinking yeah, exactly. i need to lose more weight and a lot or- of the
4: time a lot of the time when people are sick or they do want to lose a lot of weight when people and if they're doing it in an unhealthy way mm. i know when i when i was really bad with food and stuff and like i was losing a bit of weight and i'd hear people say have you lost weight i'd be like no and i'd be like happy that, or that like if people be like oh kathy you're losing a bit too much weight this was when i was in school like I looked, I was like, I looked, I was very slim in school. People like, say, Oh, you're looking very, th- you look sick, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I was like, That's it's exactly working. what I want to hear, and that's like not, like it's not healthy at all.
0: May of 2019, we had a really special episode of Girls With Goals. Um, we had the director of Women's Aid come on and talk to us about a form of abuse that was happening in this country and the world as well. And if I'm being totally honest, it was something that I had never really known about or thought about or even really used the phrase before and that was financial abuse Um, and just a few statistics on the episode It's, it's online as well now it was a bonus so if you just google Financial abuse, girls with goals, you'll find it there. It's on all of our um, audio podcasts as well as YouTube. So in 2018, Women's Aid had over 1,500 disclosures specifically involving financial abuse. And, you know, the woman that I was speaking to said that it was basically the tip of the iceberg as to what we're seeing because obviously when people are in a cycle of abuse, it's very difficult to identify what form of abuse it is that you're suffering from and you know some of the different forms of of abuse that are I suppose more talked about would be physical mental and sexual abuse but you know after doing this episode and after listening to our survivor's story who we were going to show a clip of in a, in a couple of minutes um they all play into each other yeah. like it, it it's all about control and it's all about this this creation of dependency where when I was speaking to this woman, she just started to tell me the little things, how it started. And I was just, I was so taken aback because you never think that it's going to be you when realistically it can happen to anybody. And it's one of the most frightening things that I heard was that when she was telling us her story, you know, she literally couldn't leave her house because the partner that she had at the time had gotten rid of her baby's buggy and she had absolutely no money like that goes without saying he had cut her off entirely but she couldn't even go to the shop with her baby because she wouldn't have been able to like carry her child to the shop so i mean it was really frightening to learn about this it was really frightening to to hear about some of the stories that that these women have gone through but at the same time you know that's one of the purposes of of this show it's about speaking to women who you know have in some instances, gone through really hard times, but then have come out and are able to share their stories in the hopes of getting that story out there and telling other people. Um, So like I said, we spoke to a survivor of financial abuse on the show in May of 2019. Um, So she wanted to remain anonymous, and uh, so we changed her voice, and you can see her identity for her own protection as well. But take a look at this. What changed for you? What was the moment when you kind of realised that you needed to to talk to someone and to to figure out a, a way out? Because even though you said that the biggest fear that you had at the time was being plunged into poverty, was that the only thing that was keeping you there, or, or did it keep you there for
2: too long? It kept me there for too long, but I was just so concerned about my two children. That's all I cared about, and I could, I felt I couldn't, I couldn't see a way out. There was no way out because. I couldn't leave the house to even try to talk to somebody or explain what was going on. I didn't have any money to get anywhere. So I kept thinking and I kept thinking every month was such a strain of, you know, trying to get the bills together. And I knew that any day now the bills wouldn't be paid. And I was looking at alternatives. I genuinely was looking for any solution and I couldn't think of anything. And then the only thing I could think of was I had a 250,000 life policy. And before that got cancelled, before direct debit was bounced on that, that I needed to kill myself to keep my kids safe. And I couldn't afford to even go to the solicitor to write a will. But I I wrote one anyway and I, and I hid it. And I, I told my two friends where it was hidden. And I said, when I kill myself, take this will and make sure the two children are kept safe and sign it as if you've witnessed it. Please just do this for me. They obviously started getting concerned that, well, obviously that was, I didn't admit what was going on, but then they knew things were really bad. Mm -hmm. And my friend said to me, uh, my friend Mary, she said, I think you're suffering postnatal depression. I need to bring you to the GP. And she made the appointment for the GP for me. And I told him when he came home from work that day that Mary thought I had had postnatal depression and she was bringing me to the GP. And he said, she's an interfering wagon. And if you go anywhere with her, that's us finished. I'm walking out of here and you'll never get a penny off me. And he said, I swear to God, you do that. So I had to cancel it and I had to phone in and just cancel. Him. he said, I'll bring you instead. So I said, OK, so I cancelled the appointment and made a new one for when he said he'd come. And I phoned him up that night when he was due to come and he forgot about it because he was too busy and I was just a leech anyway. So never got to the GP um, and then just options were running out. So I made my plan. I thought uh, I had two big plans. One was to get my son into secondary school to make sure he was settled. And the other one was to get my baby christened. So my son went to secondary school in September and he was settling in well. And then in November, I arranged the christening. And with the pure intention that I've done what I need to do for my two children. I have the will written. I have everything. I still have the life policy and I will kill myself and that'll be it and they will be kept safe. They will have a roof over their heads and my two friends are going to look after me. And And um, that's what I did one night. I did all my stuff and I, I took tablets and ended up in a hospital. Um, and then when they started talking to me, they said, this is abuse. This is every type of abuse, physical, emotional, financial, every type of abuse. And I kept saying, no, 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 it's not. I'm not in an abusive relationship. No, no, it's, you know, made, I couldn't, and they kept saying phone women's aid. And I said, no, because in my head, women's aid were for women who were in hospital every week with all their teeth knocked out. So I couldn't identify, didn't see how that was me. And I suppose wouldn't identify, not only couldn't, but wouldn't. And um, this nurse then just said to me, You won't believe me that you're in an abusive relationship and you don't think you deserve to phone women's aid. And we're having this battle every day. So I'm going to phone women's aid. I'm going to give you the phone. And if you tell them your story and they agree with you, I'll never ask you to phone them again. Of course, I phoned them. And of course, they said it was, you know, they validated, you know, I still didn't see it. I still didn't see it. And I came out of hospital and I went back home with him. Um, And he treated me even worse. Like It's hard to believe, but it got even worse. So I came home in the November. And then about three days after Christmas, he assaulted my son really badly. And I found out a day later. And when I saw my son, that was it. Like, I'm putting up with this to keep my kids safe. And if my kids aren't safe, there's no point in you being here. So the first thing I did was phone people and told them. And the reason I told them was because I knew if I told my friends that he had beaten my son, that there would be no coming back. That even if in the midst of my desperation for money or whatever, security or whatever I thought I was desperate for, that there was no way I'd come back if my friends knew he had beaten my son. So that's what I did.
0: It still sounds that like when you tell your story and that just sounds so upsetting and unfathomable for for so many people, but it still sounds as if you were going to stay if that hadn't have happened. So you still didn't understand or value yourself in that situation. You still didn't believe that you were an abuse victim.
2: No, definitely not. No. I mean, something had to happen. And I look now, and it would have ended up with one of us dead, definitely. There's no way it could have continued. Um, So even though it's my biggest regret in life that my son was assaulted, it was also the escape that has kept the three of us safe. So, you know, I'm not happy he was. it was the one thing that did get us out of there for good.
0: And so you started phoning
2: your friends... I told my friends to meet... I told him to get out and he thought he thought it would be like the normal the same that I'd thing. cave in. Yeah, And, you know, so did I. And had I not phoned my friends, I possibly would have caved in. You know, yeah. but because I knew I couldn't ever let him back in the house when he touched my son. So he left.
0: And what was the process then, you know, when he left the situation? Was there still a fear that he would come back? Was he still trying to get back into your life? Was there was there any kind of... Because obviously at this point you had told people. That must have felt in itself like a weight had been lifted. It did. And mm-hmm.
2: it, before that, actually, it, just before I had told people he hit them, I'd started, after talking to Women's Aid, I'd started to make little disclosures. Not a lot, but little disclosures. And I had told one friend that I had no buggy and I hadn't been out of the. Hu- I got out of the house one day a week when we visited his parents for three hours a day, a uh, week. That was my only outing at the house. I, and I'd come back in on a Sunday afternoon and I'd hear the door closing behind me. And I know what it feels like to be a prisoner because it felt like the door was clinking on me. And I knew I'd be there for the week. But I had told a friend that I had told her I can't even walk to the shops anymore. I have no buggy. I am with my daughter 24-7. I have no walkout, I have no anything. And she came over to the house with a little cheap portable boogie kind of thing. And but to me it was like, oh, you don't know what this means to me. I have freedom. I can't go. I c I can't like it was it was a simple gesture, but it was so meaningful and, and gave me such a sense of freedom. And I was so thrilled. And she left the house and his first words were, She's an interfering bitch. We can buy our own buggies. We don't need her to be bringing buggies. And I remember when he said it, I didn't answer him, but I just thought, well, if we could, why haven't we? I just So I was starting in my head yeah. to get that voice back and going, well, why haven't we? Why haven't we? Why, why have I been stuck in the house for six months for the sake of a 30 euro buggy? Yeah. Why is the buggy that was cost 500 euro sitting in the boot of your car that you haven't brought back to get refo- you know to get it replaced.
0: Did you feel safe when he was gone finally?
2: I felt a huge sense of relief actually, and I thought I was going to be because t- it was my biggest fear. It had been my biggest fear for years that I would not manage being a single parent again to an- another child.
0: So that financial fear was still well,
2: oh, it was, was still there for you. Oh yeah, it was huge, yeah. and and that I wouldn't manage. So there was there, all of that was still there. But this sense of relief of not walking on eggshells, not, you know, starting to think we might be able to plan a life for ourselves. We might we might just make out, get this out and getting support of people, like even just being told, you know, there is social welfare. There is there. I didn't know that, you know, yeah. Um, all of this type of thing. Um, and and trying to, you know, build a life back up. But honest. The system is so against women in that situation, so against, because the court system, having to go to court to beg for money from a judge who doesn't know anything that's gone on and gives you five minutes if you're lucky in the courtroom and decides whether you're going to live in poverty or not. Or, you know, the court orders are arbitrary. You have to stand there, fight your case. A lot of times you come in with your receipts and bills. I don't have time for that, you know. One stage, I remember I was um, back in college, and I said, "But that doesn't even cover the cost of the question." Well, you should be at home minding your own child, from a judge, um, you know. So yeah. the whole having to do it, and then and then his con- when he left, the only th- he, there were two things he could t- control not turning up for, not seeing his daughter or seeing her or controlling whether he would or access to her. And then the other thing was access to money. So there was a court order there that he should pay money. And it it was on his whim, whether it was paid or not. And I used to, there there was a pattern, and there is still a pattern, but it doesn't affect me anymore because I know the pattern and I plan for it. There was a pattern always the week of one of my children's birthdays. The week of Christmas, the week of Easter, the week of anything that would be going on that I would need the money more, is the week that he wouldn't pay it. Right, so he was still
0: trying to maintain that control even when you had left. So as well as tackling obviously some of the harder topics on Girls With Goals, we've also had just an incredibly fun year yeah. filled with, like, surprises. I mean, only last week we were gallivanting around Lapland mm-hmm. with Santa. Um, we've interviewed celebrities, influencers, businesswomen, athletes, uh, just just incredible people. Like, sometimes I think about how lucky we are that we get to kind of share these stories and stuff. But, I mean, one of the things that was massive in the last year, uh, and it was summer, But it was Love Island. I mean, like for us and for her, Love Island is, it pretty much goes hand in hand. Our audience... Love it. Eat that shit up. Like. <laughs> they really
1: do. They really do. And it's great because there's nothing better than writing and presenting and documenting something that you passionately love, yeah. as well as the people who are reading and engaging with the site. It's great to see those go hand in hand, because a lot of the time I'd have like, you know, love's the same as everyone. And then people would be like, oh, I'm not interested in that. So it's great to have something that you're so passionate about that other people are. It's it like, it's, it's great to see that connection.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's when we started our, our show. Then I've got a text. Yeah. I Obviously, to go hand-in-hand with Love
1: Island. Um, But do you know, how long has Love Island been going on now? Like, what year is it Oh, we've done five series. So, five seasons, I mean. So, we have the sixth season and the first winter season coming, January 2020. Okay,
0: so it's been around for a while. I remember when it came out first, I was just like, well, this isn't going to take. I was like, "Mm, what? A Rake of beautiful people who are single, just sitting around by a pool and lounging
1: for eight weeks kind of
0: dating i was like that actually just sounds like a terrible six-year holiday but it just captured everybody and everybody was so obsessed with it so this year on her we we started our love island podcast which is hosted by of course you denise um and you did it three times a week very early in the morning to catch that sweet sweet commuter traffic yeah i mean that was so crucial as well because what is it that everybody talks about the next day after love island first thing in the morning
1: is Love yeah, Island. Like? Love Island. I felt like for those eight weeks I was doing the show, I was living and breathing Love Island between watching it with my friends in the night time and then hearing, you know, how they were discussing the episode and then taking notes because I was like, that's a point I have to hit in the morning. To okay. so then come in and I had a, a rake of different guests on, which was great too, to discuss Love Island. To so then go into the office and it's funny that even though I had all that done with one episode, I'd go into the office and everyone would be talking about it. Yeah. So it, it's just it's just crazy to see how vast the conversation was about, about the series. People just adore it. And now the fact that they're bringing it out in winter again is going to be very exciting. They're going to South Africa to shoot that. Um, 8th of January is the date that's been floated around. We don't exactly know yet whether or not that's to be confirmed. ITV are very, they're very coy with uh, with releasing any information. They're keeping it close. I think around the week of Christmas we'll get some. Yeah, a little drop because I know Caroline Flack has gone to South Africa to record the promo. She did that two weeks ago. So yeah, soon. it's going to be
0: massive again. I think it's, you know, I mean, it's funny because obviously from our point of view, one of the standout stars of Love Island was Maura, Maura Higgins. Higgins. I mean, I remember the night before she arrived, they do that slow-mo promo walk of them entering. And by the way she looked, I mean, like, you know, you couldn't necessarily tell you know, where she was from or anything like that. It was just, like, these two absolutely stunners going in and going to cause havoc. And they were brunettes. And I was like, yes, yeah, come on, bombshells. the brunettes. Yeah, um, And then her voice rang out. And the entire country just went, what now? Because, like, it is a thick, thick... thick. Thick Hick. accent yeah. that that woman has. Born and bred Longford. Born like. and bred Longford. And I think we were a bit shocked because we just had yeah. no idea that uh, that Maura was going in. Now, before she went into Love Island, she's a very successful model and she's an online influencer and stuff like that. But she just went in there and absolutely owned it. She was no holes barred. Her personality, I mean, she got a bit of stick for being a bit too open about things like her sexuality and stuff. But then that turned into a really positive conversation yeah. about, like shut the fuck up, we're allowed to talk about our sexuality as women if we want to. So, I mean, she was... She was, she was incredible. I liked her from the beginning. Yeah. How did you
1: feel about I it? I loved her. No, I loved her. I loved how tongue-in-cheek she was, but I loved how she had no mercy for the way she spoke. And even when you caught up with her off the back of Love Island, she was saying that she didn't think she'd be perceived well, but she didn't care because that's who she was. Yeah. And she's like, I thought people would hate me, but like, I am who I am. And I loved that about her because I think she resonated with audiences because at the beginning, people are a bit, you know, oh, I don't know, she's a bit kind of bratty in how she speaks. But then people realize that she's actually an extreme truth teller. She is really loyal to her friends. She doesn't talk shit behind people's back. She was very straightforward in the way she was. And people really then connected with her because she was like that. Yeah. So yeah, I loved her. Absolutely. Um so we did. We had we had more Higgins
0: on Girls with Goals. I mean, we've had the T Shock, we've had the leader of the country on Girls with Goals, but having Moore Higgins on Girls yeah. with Goals, like that was a big coup for us mm. in 2019. I mean, she went down so well. She was lovely. She was heading off to her party later in the evening. So I mean she did seem a little bit tired. Like, I mean, that was right after yeah. Love Island. So she was definitely like uh, working a lot, and I think you know, I always find it really interesting to see where the Love Island people go after the show yeah, and, and what kind of career paths they take. And um, but we do have a clip from Maura Higgins, don't we? We do, we do. So, uh, again, the episode is up there for everything if you want to see the full one. But take a look at our queen, Maura Higgins. Ireland is. Very yeah. small. Everybody knows each other. We all know the taxi men. Like it's <laughs> oh what, yeah, you're hard pushed. There's only about fu-
5: three taxi drivers. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they all know you. They know yeah. where you're going yeah. as well.
0: Um, but what were the people like in your hometown when your career kind of started to explode and you were getting forty thousand followers? Um,
5: you know what? It's actually quite strange. Like if I, because I was never around my hometown a lot because I was travelling so much at work. But if I did come home, and I'd go to say Mullingar at Lone, that's where I'd always go on a night out. People were stopping me for pictures. Stop. Yeah. And Local my friends used to say like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. But yeah, like, and I did find it quite strange, but I suppose where I lived, 40,000 is a lot of followers and a lot of people, you know, doing nine to five jobs. So me traveling around, it's, it's very different to what everyone else was doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did find it quite strange. And, and even my family and friends. Like the local newspapers, I'd be on the local nu- newspapers. And that was even oh. crazy for me. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then so with Love Island, when, when that was happening, for the first kind of couple of years, obviously you were in a relationship. I've heard yeah. this about people being approached. And then obviously if they're in relationships, they kind of say no and stuff. But at the time, were you thinking about what that opportunity would look like before it happened?
5: You know what? I remember, la- <laughs> I actually remember last year when they called me up and um I was with my ex time, I think it was around six months, and I was like, no, I'm in a relationship, I'm with a guy, and they were like, how long are you with that guy? And I said, six months, and they were like, well, you don't really know if that's gonna last. Oh my God. That's what they said to me, and they actually said, well, you know what, if anything happens, like yeah. closer to the show, let us know, and we'll get you in there.
0: Wow. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. What did your boyfriend say about I that? I mean, he
5: wasn't very happy, <laughs> but. <laughs> I wasn't gonna do it anyway, I'd never do that. Yeah, so
0: then you became single. <laughs> And so yeah. the producers, who we were obviously best mates with at this point, because they've no, been trying to get you, you know for what? years. I still
5: never knew any of them. Right, okay. I didn't know, because, because there'd be different people every year mm. um, cast casting yeah. Right. So, yeah, I never knew any of them. But then when they contacted me this year, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm single, actually. I might, I might
0: go for this. And so did you get any people, maybe close to your family and friends, who were just like, maybe this isn't the right choice for you or was there any apprehension on your own part? No,
5: because my friends and family know that I'm just going to do what I want. Yeah. So there's no point in saying that's me.
0: Right. Okay. Like, so you were just like, I have
5: my own mind. I'm just going to, if I want to do something, I'll do it.
0: Yeah. And so before you went into the villa then, were you briefed in any way on the reaction that you might get from the Islanders? Because obviously they were established at that point. There was a lot of couples that were already kind of at play because yeah. your walk in I mean the strut like you you were just you're ready for it we all knew here sitting in Ireland like from the promo the week before yeah. that you were an Irish girl we could tell from your <laughs> accent and we we're like this is going to be brilliant um but what kind of briefing did you get from the producers you know what, you don't
5: get any briefing really? on what the other islanders might say or do like you don't get briefed on that at all yeah like No.
0: So they just kind of throw you in there. Yeah,
5: they're just like, obviously, like, before the show, they'll say, like, certain things to you. But, like, uh, that day, no, they never said anything about the other islanders. uh, I remember, like, my first day, they just asked me who did what three guys did I want to go on a date with. Yeah. That was really it. And that was it.
0: Yeah. And so you didn't look nervous. No, I wasn't. You
5: know what? The reason... (laughs) <laughs> the reason being is because I was on lockdown for two weeks and two days. I was so ready to get in there. Two weeks. I was bored out of my head. So no
0: social media. No social media. No phone No calls. contact
5: with anyone. Really? Yeah. The phone is took out of your hotel room. So.
0: Were you able to hang out with a girl who went in with you? What was her name again? No,
5: I only met her that day. Oh, she... I met her like 20 minutes before walking in with her. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. So you were just ready for it? There yeah, was I no was nerves. so ready.
5: She was very nervous and I was trying to calm her down. Yeah. But yeah, I was ready.
0: You were absolutely yeah, ready Yeah, I wanted to, go. to get in there. And then I suppose, like, obviously, since you've come out of the villa, there's been, you know, a huge amount of, of opportunities that have come your way. But, like, being in lockdown for those two weeks before you went in, did you have any inclination about how big it was going to be when you came out? No.
5: Like, I didn't even think I'd last the weekend there.
0: Really? Did
5: not, like, honestly, that is on my life. You know what? Ireland can't vote, so yeah. I was at a disadvantage anyway. We are uh, all
0: screaming at the TV. We wanted to divorce. <laughs> we want to divorce. Yeah. yeah.
5: But I remember I went to I went to Mammy's house to to pack my case and everything because I I wanted to say goodbye to her because I was leaving at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I had two cases, and I wasn't even going to bring my second case. Oh really? I was like, Mammy, this is pointless. I'm going to be out in a week. Yeah. And she kept going, No, you won't. You'll get to the final. I was like, Mammy, there is not a hope in hell.
0: Irish Mammys in yeah, the Yeah, I know.
5: <laughs> but uh, no, I never expected this. Like, never for one second expected it.
0: And what about the way in which you're perceived? Because obviously it's a highly produced show and, yeah. and we can tell that from watching it because we don't see you all the time. It's not yeah, like yeah, Big yeah. Brother. Um, but you know how producers are. Sometimes they can paint people as villains and sometimes they can paint people as angels. So was there any apprehension about the way that you were going to be perceived while you were in there?
5: You know what? Before going in, I thought that I'd be hated. Because I'm very opinionated, I you know, like I speak my mind yeah. and a lot of people don't like that. So going in there, that's what I had in my head. Yeah. I was thinking, you know what? I'm gonna come out, I'm gonna be hated. Like I'm, I'm gonna be in there for a week and I'm gonna come out and I'm just gonna get abused. Yeah. But I still didn't care about that. Yes. Like if I did care, I wouldn't have went into that show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but no, I just don't care. I just don't care what people think. So I'm like, I'm just gonna do it.
0: that was of course Maura Higgins the most famous person that we've ever produced I would imagine and uh, yeah Maura for president so I think uh, the the thing about um, the thing about Love Island is just, just it's definitely not going away and I suppose we can't give too much away because we want to keep some element of, surprise. element of surprise for the new year and for what's coming up on her and stuff like that. But I suppose what we can say is that I've got to text the show, the yeah. podcast, was such a massive success. Like, I mean, we really did. We. I feel like the fact that... We got up so early and you were in here at the crack of dawn. Three days a week really paid off because we found our audience and they were just eating up the little bite-sized element of it. The fact that it was 15, 20 minutes, you could catch up on everything and go. Um, The cameos of of the relatives. The relatives, (laughs) Which uh, was satire,
1: just in case anybody's coming for us. Uh, (laughs) We didn't really have the the elephant on. Yeah, but it it, it was fabulous. And the thing that worked so well about the show is that we kind of ran with it as time went on. You know, nothing was pre-planned. As the episodes unfolded, we... Came up with ideas as time went on, so th- I think I think that's why it worked so well as a package because it just it grew over time, and so did the listenership, and so on and so forth. So yeah, um yeah, exciting things coming. I think uh, we 2020. can kind of say that
0: you're going to be very busy
1: in busy. the in the first couple of weeks of January. Yes, so we, can, um, we can confirm that <laughs> we will be
0: continuing to provide that sweet sweet content uh, for the winter, Love Island, um, just to make us feel a little bit happy in January yeah. because. Uh, we're going to wrap up now. So it is January and it's coming up to the new year. And this is going to be going out right when we're we're hitting 2020. So uh, when we're back in 2020, we will have our episode in the first week of January. And yes. that is going to be um, kind of a spin on... The whole
1: new year, new me the whole, movement. Because
0: honestly, like, I don't have the youth or the, the patience. patience the time the strength the energy now to be fair i've never really bought into it before i've never really bought into uh, dry January or anything like that even though like no you know if you want to do it yep, fair. have at it it's not something that I um, live my life by but the, the new year new me thing just kind of gets me I, I do understand that it's a, a nice time for people who want to start afresh yeah fair Um, but at the same time there has to be a better way than everybody spending a rake of cash on gym memberships and then feeling bad about themselves and February. eating
1: kale for three weeks to so then go back to eating the way you were like is that necessary no like, eat a bit healthier, try. It's all about trying to be better. But anyway, we'll keep that
0: we will. for next week. We'll keep that for next <laughs> week. And then, like, just to end, um, one of my favourite moments of you, Denise, in this entire year mm. was just how much you hate my quizzes.
1: Yeah, that's... that's- confirmation there Um, you can't do quizzes to save your life I
0: can do quizzes hopefully your New Year's
1: resolution will be no quizzes for 2020 it's not my fault that you do not know one one film who wrote A Christmas Carol Joan Cusack isn't (laughs) it isn't this who we confirmed it to be
0: just for everybody who's listening and watching now um, yeah, If you haven't watched the Christmas quiz, it's delightful. Uh, Denise literally throughout the whole thing just started low-key insulting
1: me and just being like, yeah, so... Because I was set up to do a quiz on Christmas films to then <laughs> receive something about Charles Dickens. Like, honestly, the most famous author of Something ever. to do with Charles Dickens from fucking way back when. And what was the other one? Something to do with... Well, I th- it's Christmas carol. was that a Christmas Dickens? carol, yeah. So it was Ebenezer Scrooge, and you were like guessing Ebenezer, the name. Ebenezer, to guess the name Ebenezer. <laughs> I said Roger, Ronald. Ronald is what I said because I just guessed. I didn't know. <laughs> And I didn't see the Muppets, which our producer Ian despises. Yeah,
0: so, I mean, there's still time left in that one. And then I loved as well how you, every time you saw because I think A Christmas Carol, like the theatre show is coming to Dublin, it's probably like yeah, done was that by on now. on my
1: Dublin bus. I just <laughs> zoomed in on it and I was like, I'm triggered. It's following me around. But yeah, if we're doing a Christmas quiz in 2020, it'll be about Love Actually, the holiday classics that we know about the Grinch. Yeah, of course. And A Christmas Carol isn't a classic. Denise, no. I have to say,
0: um, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you this year. Likewise. I'm excited excited for 2020 Me and maybe too. we'll just say now and get it out there that if we are doing any quizzes because i do love a quiz
1: well why don't you do, take the quiz i'll be the quiz master Is okay it? okay great that's Fair. it yeah
0: new year's resolution denise curtain 2020 quiz master extraordinaire
1: okay yeah sounds good but for god's sake watch a christmas carol or read it or i'll do something, just watch to the do Muppets I'll do something. put a version with puppets in it see i don't know how i feel about the puppet situation <laughs> okay uh but yeah i'll see I have time over Christmas, so.
0: That is all the time that we have for this week and for this year. Thank you so much, as always, to Denise Curtin. And thank you again to everybody who has listened and who has watched and subscribed to Girls With Goals. We really appreciate the support and we are going to be back with bells on for 2020. See you then.